0: Jesus ascending to heaven, Jesus told the apostles that they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. In chapter 2 we have, as we looked last week, the beginning of the church, the establishment of the Lord's church. Some 3,000 people obeying the gospel, the Lord adding to the church daily those who were being saved. As we come to Acts chapter 7, we have the first record of a martyr for the cause of Christ, a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was a very bold preacher. And the Bible tells us in chapter 8 that a great persecution swept the early church, as was read a moment ago. The disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And then Luke tells us that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. In verse 5, we are introduced to the work of a man by the name of Philip. The Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to those people. And so this was God's plan, that the gospel go far and wide, that people of every nation, have the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the saving power of the gospel of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 8, in verse 5 and following, we have a record of what I would call a great public gospel meeting. And so look with me, if you would, at what the text has to say. Again in verse 5, the Bible says that Philip reached out with the gospel of Christ to the Samaritan people. Now, you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus had spent some time with a woman of Samaria, Jacob's well. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 that at that point in time in history, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And yet Jesus had, or Jesus made a profound impression upon her life. As a result of that, many of her own people came to believe in Christ, that is, in the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so now we have the gospel moving beyond Jerusalem and Judea. And the text tells us that as he reached out to the people with the gospel of Christ, the message he shared was one of forgiveness. And so note, if you would, verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, So we have the message and the miracles of Philip. Now Philip, back in chapter 6, along with some other individuals, they had been the recipients of receiving certain spiritual gifts. The apostles had laid hands on them. And so they had the ability to perform the miraculous. And so Philip performs a number of miracles. Verse 7, the Bible says that, Unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You remember back in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus gave the Great Commission. Jesus said that they were to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He went on to say, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Down in verse 20, Mark provides for us a commentary on their actions the Bible says that they went out everywhere preaching the word and the Lord was working with them confirming the word by the accompanying signs and so the miraculous confirmed the word preached by those men in the first century in the first century again remember the gospel was in men wasn't in book form as it is today the Holy Spirit inspired men in the first century. And so, in verse 9, we're introduced to a man by the name of Simon. And Simon was a sorcerer. In other words, he practiced magical arts. And the text tells us, "...who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God." And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But now look at verse 12. In verse 12, we have a record of what Philip preached in Samaria. The text says when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. When Philip preached the name of Jesus Christ, really what he was saying was, by the authority of Christ. And of course, the message that he delivered was the authoritative word of the living God. With reference to the kingdom of God, that had to do with the church. Last week in our study, we talked about the establishment of the church and how Daniel of old foretold of that coming kingdom that would stand forever in contrast to earthly kingdoms that rise and fall, that come and go. And so Philip preached about the kingdom of God. Now understand, the kingdom of God exists today in accordance with God's eternal will, God's eternal plan based on Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. When John the Baptist began his earthly ministry, he pointed people in the direction of a coming kingdom, that is a spiritual, spiritual institution. And you remember Isaiah foretold of the coming of the church, he saw it as an exalted mountain and he said, into which all nations would flow, that would encompass both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul would say in Ephesians 2 verse 16, that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. And so the gospel was intended for all. That was the scope of the Great Commission given by Jesus in Matthew 28 in verse 19 when He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So Philip is preaching about the kingdom of God. I would infer from this that he also preached a great many things about the Christ because the Bible says he preached Christ to them. And if you're going to preach the Christ, you have to preach about the body that he bought and purchased with his own blood. You've got to talk about that spiritual institution that houses the saved. We know that the saved are in the church based on what Luke records in Acts chapter 2 at verse 47. So he's preaching about the authoritative words of Christ, and everything that we do, religiously speaking, is governed by the authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So he's preaching Christ and the kingdom of Christ. You remember Jesus said with regard to that spiritual institution, as he stood before Pontius Pilate in John 18. John records for us the conversation that took place during the trial. And Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom Jesus established was a spiritual entity. And then the text says that those who heard the great preaching and teaching of Philip, they responded with an obedient heart. In other words, both men and women were baptized. Why men and women? Because we're talking about people who reach the age of accountability. The New Testament doesn't teach nor does it authorize infant baptism. Infants haven't transgressed the law of God. They're in a safe condition. And so the emphasis here is on people who have the mental ability to grasp the facts as they relate to the Christ, to His redemptive plan, and to what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And so they did that. Now look at verse 13. Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. You know, one of the things that signs or miracles did, they created wonder or awe or amazement. Well, why was that? Because we're talking about that which is extraordinary. It is above the ordinary. Simon was was a magician engaged in uh, magical arts. And he recognized that what Philip was doing was not black magic. but Rather, this was the real thing, as we say. And so the Bible says in verse 14, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus.' Now again, remember the gospel was in men in the first century. Today we have the recorded will of God. We have, as Peter would say, all things pertaining to life and godliness. So there's no need for the miraculous, no need for inspired men. We're governed by the apostles' doctrine. The Bible says in verse 18, When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that, it, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, Your money perished with you, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. He said, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now think about this for a minute. Simon had obeyed the gospel, hadn't he? Just as the others had in the city of Samaria. We happen to have Simon singled out. We have a great host of people becoming obedient to the faith, but Simon is singled out. as having obeyed the gospel, but he strayed, didn't he? Wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter then said in verse 22, Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. In verse 23, Peter said, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you've spoken may come upon me. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. There are basically two laws of pardon. The first law of pardon applies to what we might call the alien sinner that is, someone who has never obeyed the gospel. When they come to an understanding of the death of Jesus and its significance, that Christ paid the price for our sins. And they respond with an obedient faith. You remember Paul, for example, in Romans chapter 6, when he said, God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form or pattern of doctrine delivered to you. So when people obey the gospel of Christ, When their hearts are purified by the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, they enjoy forgiveness, don't they? Then there is God's second law of pardon. That would apply to the Christian. In this case, Simon is already a believer. He's already a member of the body of Christ. He's been baptized into Christ. He is a part of the body. When he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit and Peter indicted him and said, your heart's not right in the sight of God, the second law of pardon was then introduced. Well, what was that? Repentance and prayer. So that means if we as children of God succumb to temptation, if our hearts are not what they ought to be in the eyes of God, then what's the remedy? We don't have to be baptized again. Why? That's God's first law of pardon. We do what Simon did. That is, we repent of our sins and we pray to God and we have the assurance of forgiveness. Now you remember in 1 John chapter 1, John talks about how if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. And then he goes on to say, if we confess our sins... John is not writing to alien sinners. He's not writing to people who are outside the body of Christ. He's writing to people who belong to the church, who are part of God's family. And so he said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So can I stand assured tonight that if I obey the gospel, if I'm baptized into Christ, and I have entered into the watery grave of baptism with faith in Jesus Christ, a penitent heart, when I go down into that water and come up, can I not have confidence that I arise as a new creation in Christ, that all of my sins have been washed away? The answer is yes. By the same token, we have that same measure of confidence if we succumb to temptation. If we fall short of the glory of Almighty God, and our lives are not what they ought to be, then we have the privilege and the right of prayer. Sometimes we ask for the prayers of the church. We go to God in prayer. We have repented of sin. We ask our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with us and for us. As James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. So we do that. That's what Simon did. As a result of that, he was back in fellowship with God. And if he lived a faithful life, the assurance was that he continued to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Now, the second thing that I want to emphasize, first we have Philip preaching publicly. Secondly, we have his preaching privately. Look at verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He said, This is desert, or this is a deserted place. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Now, Ethiopia was a part of the ancient kingdom of Cush, located south of Egypt, we would say Africa. And so the Bible says, there was this man from Ethiopia. He is a eunuch, a man of great authority. He is, as we would say, a steward in the household of Candace. Now this is not a proper name, But rather it's simply a title, much like Pharaoh was in Egypt. And so the Bible says he had charge of all of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. I would submit to you, the eunuch was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. And you think about the dedication of this man. He has traveled about 1,600 miles. It's a long way didn't have an airplane, didn't have an automobile, but rather he's traveling by chariot. Philip is going to be the human instrument that God uses to teach this man the gospel of Christ. And God always uses human instruments, doesn't He? So with that in mind, note what the text says. He's on his way back home. He's sitting in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. This man must have been of some financial means. He's got the scroll Isaiah, he's riding in a chariot, he's reading the prophet Isaiah and he is, as we note in this text, investigating. He's investigating what the prophet of old had to say. The Spirit then said to Philip, Go near near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked this question. Do you understand what you're reading? Not uncommon is it for people to read the Scriptures and have difficulty understanding the import of what they have read. So again, this human element, The opportunity to guide or to teach someone the truth of Almighty God, which is what Philip does. So he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? The Bible says in verse 32. Well, verse 31, the eunuch invites Philip to sit with him in the chariot the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now, this is taken from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah wrote about 700 years, 750 years, before Jesus came to earth. And in a very poignant way, Isaiah foretells of the suffering servant, the fact that he would taste death for every man. He would bear the sin of many, as Isaiah said in chapter 53. So the eunuch says to Philip, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? That was a great question, wasn't it? I mean, he is intrigued by what he's reading. Isaiah had a lot to say about the coming of the Christ and about the church of Christ. He is reading one of the most familiar passages in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. In his reading, in his investigation, his mind is, who's he talking about here? That's his mindset. Is he talking about himself, or does he have in mind somebody else? Now Luke said, beginning at that same scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. So you think about the focal point of the message. It was Jesus, just as it had been in Samaria. You know, Philip, I don't think Philip went from city to city and preached one thing here and another thing there and another thing in this city. I think he preached the same message in every city. And so he preaches the Christ. And you think about all of the things that he could have talked about regarding the Christ. But this was, as Isaiah said, God with us. He could have talked about the fact that Jesus emptied himself and took upon Himself, human flesh. He could have talked about the great message that he preached for three, three and a half years in Palestine. The miracles that he performed. That he indeed had the words of eternal life. That he was the source of salvation. Through him forgiveness was available. Now, the eunuch, he is operating under the premise that the law of Moses is still intact, isn't he? In other words, He is an adherent to that dispensation. And yet, when Jesus died on Calvary, that old law was nailed to the cross, and as Paul said in Colossians 2.14, taken out of the way. Jesus shed His blood, establishing a new covenant. In Matthew 26, during the Passover, when He instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So he could have talked about the blood of Jesus and how Jesus went to the cross and paid the ultimate price for sin. He would have no doubt underscored the fact that through the shed blood of Jesus, there is the remission of sins. Under that old system, there was a remembrance of sin Every year, it wasn't possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So he is talking to him about the one who is identified by Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. He is the one through whom we have access to the Father, based on what Jesus said in John 14 at verse 6. So he preaches the Christ. And I would assume he also preached about the church of Christ. Because to become a part of Christ is to become a part of the body of Christ, isn't it? You know, the church, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and about verse 5, that we being many are one body in Christ. The church is located in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. And so he would have lifted high that institution wherein all the saved reside. As the Hebrew writer said to the General Assembly, Church of the Firstborn, which are registered in heaven. When we obey the gospel of Christ, our sins are washed away. We become a part of the Church of the Firstborn. We belong to God. So he preaches Christ. Now listen, if you would, to what the text says. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How do they know anything about baptism? Is there anything explicitly stated by Luke that in the preaching of Philip, he stressed New Testament baptism? Not a word, is there? So why then would the eunuch, upon seeing certain water, say, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Because baptism is Christ-centered. It is cross-centered. To preach Christ, we talk about sometimes preaching the man. If you're going to preach the man, you need to preach the plan, don't you? I mean, it would be pointless to talk about Jesus and all the great blessings that we have in Him, but never tell somebody what to do to access those blessings. Jesus shed His blood in death, John 19, 34 and 35. The reason we're baptized into Christ is for salvation. That's what Jesus said, Mark 16, 16. It is for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, verse 38. And when... Peter said, repent and be baptized. The reason we're baptized is to obtain forgiveness or the remission of sins. Saul would later say that he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. So this man has heard the gospel of Christ. We said that salvation is in Christ. That's what Paul said, 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. And the only way that I know to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. So, the Bible says that He commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and He baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why do you think the eunuch went on his way rejoicing? Because he was saved. He was a redeemed child of God, cleansed by the blood of Christ. And John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood, Here's a man that is now, has now been pardoned from every sin. Here's a man that now has peace with God, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's a man that now has the promise of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Philip was a great evangelist. Led a lot of people to Christ the beauty of the message that he shared in the first century is that the message he preached is still just as effective today. Still has the power to cleanse from sin. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. I encourage you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that through your obedience to the gospel of Christ, to know that all of your sins can be washed away. The record still reads in Acts chapter two, when they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And the assurance is when we do that, God puts us in his body. And if we're faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here tonight and your life's not what it ought to be and you need to be restored back to the Lord. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing. Have